the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Good day and welcome Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing in more stocks. Let's talk stocks because it's been a while since I've been on the fresh side. Um, stocks opened higher as investors worldwide have responded to kind of a U.S. and China thing going on. Negotiators are zeroing in on a plan to end the trade war. I don't want to say I told you so because it's too early, but I think we all kind of knew that a trade war would eventually, we hope. I'll, I'll shut up right now because... President Trump isn't the easiest to predict. Uh, Germany's DAX index today shrugged off negative data on the economy. We work, we live in a global economy at this point in time. You know that, I know that. We're all kind of good with that. Um, Japan's Nikkei edged down after release of data suggesting slower growth. Hmm. <laughs> so we got stocks opening higher as we're kind of positive on the US China thing. Zeroing in on trade war finish finale, the finale, in a very final episode ever. Um, but there's also a big story, the uh, Kraft Heinz. Warren Buffett lost $4 billion in one trading day. Kraft Heinz is down roughly 9%, um, 27% overall. It fell yesterday about 10% after letting us know that they've written off $15 billion in previous acquisitions. That's a pretty big write-off. And this is the way I would sum up a write-off. Kraft Heinz bought too many companies. Um, they hear about a little company that's doing well. They buy them. They buy another company. They, do, they, get, they, they buy them. And now, later on, they're saying, well, we overpaid for them, so we're going to take a write-off on our taxes. Oh, is that right? <laughs> um... There's some intangible assets that they're having problems with of carrying the goodwill on Oscar Mayer and Kraft trademarks. Um, Kraft Heinz blamed lower prices in the U.S. during the holiday season as a result of the promotions and lower commodity costs. That's a pretty big company with a pretty nice motherly, grandmotherly kind of dividend. I don't own any Kraft Heinz, but to wake up and see that kind of calamity in your portfolio, I would imagine, is pretty tough. The company is trimming its dividend as it seeks to strengthen its balance sheet. I know you're saying Kraft Heinz, like macaroni and cheese and Heinz ketchup, but yes. And these kind of brands are so iconic that sometimes uh, we value them a little bit higher than we should, and sometimes we value them a little bit less. But... Piper Jaffray cut Kraft Heinz to neutral today, citing its concerns over the write-downs and its market brands. Uh, the company said, we have no depth, duration, or general profitability on the consumer feeling at this point in time. Since merging with Kraft way back in 2015, Kraft and Heinz, buying company has cut about $1.7 billion in, in costs, which is kind of the way you sell it to shareholders. 
but that is a messy, messy day, and uh, it's a constant reminder. Even ketchup can be a problem, and now you know. <laughs> but Warren Buffett losing $4 billion. Let's not sweat it for him, okay? Um, about five seconds late, but still good. Um, Berkshire Hathaway owes three, owns 325 million shares. Uh, in fact, if you were to look at Warren Buffett's uh, portfolio, you'd probably say he, the guy eats horribly because he owns things like mac and cheese and Dairy Queen and Coca-Cola. Um, not mac and cheese, Kraft Heinz <laughs> and ketchup. Ketchup, a lot of people don't know, is just sugar. Sugar and tomato paste or tomato sauce. It's disgusting. I, I know what you're saying. Really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, again, don't feel bad for Berkshire Hathaway. He tends to have a way of making things work out for him. Um, on a day when everyone else is selling Kraft Heinz, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not buying Kraft Heinz, right? He's that kind of guy. Elsewhere out there, Democrats are moving to block Trump's national emergency declaration. They say the Mueller report's going to hit next week or the week after, and whether we see it or not, we don't know. Trump is positioned an attorney general and an assistant attorney general basically into his corner, it looks like. So that's out there. Google isn't in the news today. They're, re- they're reportedly planning to launch a Netflix for games. We've talked about this as a 2019 story. What is going to be you know, the next big thing? What's going to be a story that we're talking about you know, 2017, we're talking about semiconductors that can see the road and sensors and self-driving. Every year, there's a different kind of story, especially in the world of tech. And Google's announced new hardware for its upcoming streaming game product at the Game Developers Conference. It's kicking off. They offered a streaming game beta that ended in January and later said it would make an announcement at the conference. They want to put it inside of the um, – they're, they're working in multiple ways, but inside your browser. The service could open up console gaming to more devices, letting users stream high-end games without buying a console like the PlayStation or Xbox. Um, As we move to 5G, Google really, really wants to be a big player in services that you don't actually have to own stuff anymore. Uh, Video games, you have to own the cartridge or not own the cartridge or the CD or the DVD or whatever you want to call it at this point in time. Um, Digital downloads are big money because you don't have to make a product. You don't have to send it to China. You don't have to put it in a box. You don't have to put it in a UPS thing. So you save a lot on the shipping and the, the, you know, the, the, the back end of it. So Google's going to unveil new hardware. Netflix for games. We've heard this from Apple. If they gave us an app store with unlimited use, 15 bucks a month, $10 a month, uh, since we tend to sleep a lot, since we tend to uh, drive a lot, you know, places where we are, they want to be, everyone wants to be. There's no business in people snoring yet. Yet. Well, there's business in people snoring, but you get the idea. But it's known as Project Yeti. And Google's going to try to shake up the gaming industry. And, you know, the fear is, is on one hand, on one hand, the fear is that when you shake up the industry, people like Electronic Arts and Activision and take two are going to get hit. Um, of course, there's you know game streaming and Amazon's got their foot in with Twitch TV. Um, but would you pay for a service on streaming games? Nvidia and Sony are already offered streamed games, and Microsoft is working on a streaming product called Project X Cloud. So that's going to be a big story this year. Uh, but a lot of people are looking at Fortnite. Is did it ruin the video game industry because it has that really really pretty good experience for a free game? 
Um, but people are already starting to move on to Apex Legends and Wolf for Electronic Arts. Uh, but streaming of video games, and again, you have to have a good good internet service, right? And it's kind of funny because for years and years and years, we wanted our internet like $29.99, $39.99, $49.99. And now we're paying 60 plus bucks. Um, and we have really fast internet and bandwidth that we're probably not using most of at any given time. And yet the video game industry is saying, hey, wait till 2019, wait till 2020. You know, a product, cast, a product that I really like using, I don't know if I would invest in the company directly. It's Roku because they're playing on the cutting the cord. As we're paying more for download strength and the speeds, we're saying um, let's cut the cord. Let's use different uh, streaming services and let's cut cable. And it's a true story. So Roku shares are on the rise this week. Roku did better this quarter than expected. Um, keep an eye on them. They're kind of a can they get acquired for their hardware play in a world of Apple hardware and Amazon hardware? Whoa. A lot to think about, right? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I like cheap stocks. I like stocks with dividends. I like gross stocks. Uh, one would say that I'm a purveyor or lover of stocks. Do I talk a lot about growth stocks? Yes. One of the reasons why is I live in growth stock, you know, nirvana, so to speak. Um, I live five miles from Facebook, five miles from Apple. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Five miles from Google. Um, tech stock nirvana, right? So you kind of kind of see it a lot. When I talk stocks and investing, I kind of wanted to show you, you know. It's a fun world. It's a, a world that will like rock your brain in a happy way. Uh, when people give me books on, like, you know, this is the greatest president ever, I'm like, I'm not going to read it. And I, I feel bad, but I'm like, can you take it back or do I, should I just give it to Goodwill? Um, I love what I do. I love the, the business of business, so to speak. Anyhow, um, some stocks that I like and I'll throw out there for you. Sometimes they're tied towards stories and sometimes they're tied towards trends and sometimes they're tied towards the demographics. So when I say, you know, I talk about a video game industry, I'm telling you that the people under 35 have the most disposable income, um, that they buy on things that they, 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 they go for the experience. Whereas I'll tell you when you're in your, you know, uh, generation X days, you're starting to think, Oh God, I'm going to retire sooner than later. And I want to retire better than my mom and dad did. And will we, or will we not? So there's a lot going on out there and there's a lot going on in my brain. Um, stocks can be loved and they can be underloved. Um, and I think you want to try to approach both. If you've got two children and one of them's like a great athlete or one of them's a, like a great student, uh, you see the differences and you, you love them both. The same thing can be true in stocks, right? Um, as far as you know, Berkshire Hathaway uh, losing a couple billion dollars in Heinz today. One of the things I like about this time of the year is that Warren Buffett and his Berkshire Hathaway group published an annual shareholder letter. And inside that letter, one of the things that they do is they talk about what they see in the economy and the market. And uh, uh, they don't say, oh, we're going to be buying this stock. You should buy that stock. But it's pretty well written. If you haven't ever Googled it or seen it, Google Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letter. A um, lot going on. You know, um, Vanguard, 
we saw that Jack Bogle died in 2019, uh, early on. And one of the things that I liked about Jack Bogle was he brought the cost of investing down so that companies, he didn't, he didn't do it himself, but his trend of saying he could buy an index fund or uh, eventually ETFs, and you don't have to pay $400 to own 500 stocks. You don't have to pay $400 to own two stocks. Like You're going to pay $0.40 cents on $100. Whoa, that's a pretty good deal. So Vanguard has taken in more money than any other fund company for 12 years in a row. So when you look at Amazon and you go, wow, Amazon, I, I wish I would invest in them because they're so dominant what they've been doing for such a long period of time. Same thing with Vanguard. Same thing with companies like Visa. You're looking for companies that are dominant in what they do. Or that's one of the things you should be looking at. Now, you can look at disruptors. Um, Salesforce.com and databases, online databases and situations like that, they were a disruptor long before um, they became a dominant giant. Whereas who were they disrupting? A company called Oracle. And they did a good job of it. So find things that you would look for is my advice. I don't know if that's good advice, but... Um, I don't know if you're a person who gets too emotional in it or not, but it's out there. Worthy of note, Fortnite has just announced Epic. has just announced a World Cup is finally happening this summer. And there's $30 million up for grabs. It's going to be a multi-day event. It's going to feature possibly the biggest prize pool in esports history. There's going to be $30 million up for grabs, including $3 million in it for a solo champion. In last year, there was a tournament called Dota. Dota, 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 Dota 2. And that had $25 million prize money. Now, do you see the trend there? $25 million to $30 million. That's good growth. Um, and again, I don't know how it's going to be pulled out. I don't really care. You know, the Fortnite world, to me, is uh, a world of, of I see the growth, so to speak. And I see a disruption of, of a business model. Activision, Take-Two, and Electronic Arts all had pretty miserable quarters. Even though some better than others, you know, take two had a better than, uh, other quarter than Activision, uh, better than expected than Electronic Arts. Electronic Arts is, is rebounded with a, a, a quick release of a battle royale game copying Fortnite. They're going to try to move in that that direction. Uh, early word back is they're not going to produce as much money as Fortnite. Um, it's not quite as social of an, a thing, you know, when Fortnite has the dances and kind of like kind of the G-rated nature, you pull in a lot of eyeballs. And I bring that up because Fortnite and a lot of their eyeballs, they had that in-game concert not that long ago with DJ, electronic DJ Marshmallow, and they had the most eyeballs ever for an in-game concert. In-game, not not online concert, not international satellite concert. Live Aid beat it pretty, uh, you know, aggressively. Uh, but these in-game events, and like one of the things they did was they were emailing and telling the people every time they logged on, don't forget about this event, don't forget about this event. So the World Cup thing, they already have an audience where they could say, hey, watch the World Cup thing. And they can even give you V-Bucks, virtual currency for watching it. Like, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but it's going to be interesting, in my opinion, and that's one of the most exciting things out there that I have to chat about. U.S.-China trade dispute puts a chill on the American natural gas export. It's pretty interesting to see how many businesses that we have that we are now exporting. We export oil in the United States. When I was a kid, 
you would have thought that Saudi Arabia was going to own all of the United States and that we'd have sheiks and princes and uh, Saudi Arabian mayors. Like, it didn't really... It's interesting how we developed. The global gas market experienced fewer disruptions and feared this winter after China slapped tariffs on U.S. liquefied natural gas. And that's an area that has underperformed because the gas boom and the exports were cut. So the natural gas market is emerging from winter relatively unscathed. Um, and I see potential upside if a trade war ends. So it's, I'm putting stuff on my shopping list. Does that make sense? Is that something that you do? Um, of stocks that you would really want to own or maybe sectors you would really want to own? Um, maybe if you don't like natural gas, maybe you like oil. Maybe you're a person who's like, well, we're going to be using oil, and oil has, have we hit peak oil or not? I could tell you that a lot of countries want to go more and more green. So enemy of oil is solar. It shouldn't be, but in the minds of uh, investors, it kind of is. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Gold fell off a 10-month peak after the Fed released their stance uh, this earlier this week. Um, so the Fed said they're not going to adopt as a dovish of a stance on monetary policy as previously thought. So we're paying a lot of attention to things. We're moving out of earnings season and we're moving into you know, PR announcements, right? And economic data and other things to follow. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Let's talk a little hedge funds. A hedge fund is an investment fund. Well, before we go into hedge funds, let's talk mutual funds. A mutual fund is a product on Wall Street that buys a lot of stocks. Not necessarily a lot of stocks, but stocks. Puts them in a fund. And it gives you easy access into buying a lot diversification, right? That's the idea. So mutual funds were actively managed, and you'd have a manager, and his name might have been Jean Van Claude Dam. And he's had a five year track record, a 10 year track record, and a three year track record. You go, Jean Claude Van Dam. Um, is a great investor or a bad investor. He's active. And if he's great, you're going to say, I'd pay him one, one and a half percent. But then you have to pay his secretaries, you have to pay the trades, you have to pay the uh, regulatory people, you got to pay the compliance people. So sometimes active fund, act, active fund management is not worth it, especially if their track record isn't by beating the market by a lot. Why not just buy the market through a Vanguard uh, index fund, which is just indexes. He's not active. No one's actively watching it. There's not anything, you know, you don't need a director of global travel to, to own an index fund. You don't You can cut the cost as a business. And then you could pass the savings on to the client. I like index funds for most people. I know it's not sexy, but so you got mutual funds, which is a collection of stocks. And there's actively managed ones with um, manager Jean-Claude Van Damme. Or you might have heard of someone like a Peter Lynch who did Fidelity Magellan. And then you get index funds, which Jack Bogle and Vanguard made famous and everyone else copied because, well, there's trillions of dollars out there and they all want the piece of that action. And then there's something called hedge funds. Now, a hedge fund is like a mutual fund that's actively managed on steroids. And because it's on steroids, it's not ideal. 
I remember in high school and college when I'd see some guys beef up, <laughs> probably inappropriately. Uh, I know they weren't just going to you know CVS or Rite Aid and getting you know powder to put in their their shakes. I knew I, something was going on because they'd like start screaming rage and steroids are bad. So. But they're not bad. They can get you the results you want, but they could also bring fits of emotional instability. So hedge fund to me is you have to be an accredited investor, although that's kind of a dicey term because I've heard commercials on both radio and TV for uh, real estate that they're looking for you know, you to invest in an alternative product and you should be an accredited investor. An accredited investor typically means you have a million dollars of assets means you are got enough so that you can be in riskier products. A hedge fund is considered a, a riskier product. Even though they set up complex portfolio structures with risk management techniques, supposed to protect you in the downside or even benefit in the downside of a market. So a hedge fund originated from the paired long and short because hedge funds can go long a stock or they can short a stock. In fact, they could do both. Like if they have a feeling that the short-term momentum on, let's say, like an Apple is negative, they can keep their long position but start shorting their long position and cover it later and buy either more shares and or not. So hedge funds are something that's kind of important because there's a lot of money going into them. For you, the average person, I don't want you to think hedge fund. For you, the average person, when your neighbor comes up to you and says, i got a great idea for a business, I don't even want you to think of that. That's an alternative way of investing. That's when you become a lender, and then you don't even know your risk-to-reward strategies more often than not. But there's $3 trillion in hedge funds. And again, I don't think most people should be in. I, I think most people don't understand it. And 2018 was a bad year. They're very expensive, because not only are you paying for active management, you're paying for high-end active management. Um, last year's stocks that were widely owned which is interesting to note um, because there's trillions of dollars in the industry. You kind of see like who are the players and you can kind of start seeing sometimes there's short-term moves and sometimes uh, short-term moves on these names. You always wonder because I own Microsoft. I bought it 15, 20 years ago. I'll probably continue to hold it. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Alphabet. Those are the top five most popular hedge fund holdings. Those are all pretty good long-term names in most of our minds, right? Then you see on their list United Health, Visa, JP Morgan, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, MasterCard, Netflix. So now we've gone through twelve, and the only one that really stands out is like kind of dicey is Wells Fargo. Then you go into Boeing, Comcast, Coca-Cola, Adobe, Johnson Johnson. Now, of all these names that I'm throwing out there for you, they all kind of are names that you know, right? Hedge funds aren't playing around with um, some small chip company called A15 Bionic Brain or something like that. Not saying that they don't, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, one of the things I like to do, not only to follow hedge funds and see what their kind of roster looks like, but I also like to follow billionaires because who wouldn't want to be a billionaire, right? Into their investments. Uh, number three richest person in the world is Warren Buffett. Last year, he bought a lot of Apple. Now, he's recently sold it. So, if I were to tell you last year, what does that mean? It means nothing. And that's why when you look at Microsoft or Amazon or Google or Apple, past performance doesn't equal future guarantees, future results in any way, shape. Nothing can be guaranteed. 
nothing. When you give your money to someone in an account or hand it over or in a hedge fund or in an index fund, nothing can be guaranteed in the short term. You can look at the longer term and get some comfort because index funds have made money over time and mutual funds have made money over time and the market has done well over time. And you know, I'm saying on one hand, past performance is not indicative of future results. But on the other hand, I, I could say, don't get all like, oh, I don't like Trump because, well, the world didn't like Hitler and the market got over it. You know, the world didn't like Paul Pot and the world got over it. I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler or Paul Pot. Um, just throwing that out there. But World War One, World War Two, um, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, um, oil spikes up to 150. The world, the world doesn't like a lot. But it doesn't stop the stock market from going forward and capitalism from figuring it out. So the top three holdings over at Berkshire Hathaway last year was Apple, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. The biggest buy was J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, he's a billionaire. And like I said, I'll pay attention. It doesn't mean I'll do it. And then I'll like George Soros. He's the 190th richest person. Now, Buffett number three. Um, Soros, his top three holdings, Liberty Media, Vicky Properties, and Caesars Entertainment. Uh, he sold a lot of tripping last year. He bought a lot of Philip Morris. I got to imagine with those holdings, he had a pretty rough year. Now, again, he's got a track record of winning. Then you get into like my one of my favorite investors, a guy named David Tepper. Uh, I believe he owns the Carolina Panthers now. <laughs> like, And he didn't buy them when he was 20. He bought them last year. Um, so he's got the money to pay big bucks. Um, his top three holdings, Micron, Facebook, and Altababa. Uh, so he's got a big play on social media. And then Micron Technology, it's, everyone predicts the death of DRAM. Everyone predicts the death of uh, hard drives. Everyone predicts the death of, and sometimes there's a lot of value in those tech companies. But again, I do pay attention to like a Julian Robertson or a David Einhorn or a Bill Ackman or a Nelson Peltz. Um, I want to see what sectors are being bought. I want to see how the S&P 500 um, does in comparison. So I do a lot of homework. A lot of it's very, very passive. Like, I don't read, you know, uh, research reports of another analyst and have them say, here's my top 10 stocks. And I go, well, I'm going to buy all 10 of those. You can't do stuff like that. That'll get you into trouble. So anyway, um, those are some of the highlights, in my opinion, of, of talking about hedge funds and what we can learn. And there's no shame in looking at something like a Warren Buffett or a Ray Dalio or David Tepper. Um, again, that's my opinion. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on this show. But you get where I'm trying to go at with this. Interesting. Just showing you how much I love you and I want you to do invest and I want your kids to invest. Pizza. Pizza, pizza. Um, and again, this is not investment. Don't go consult a broker advisor taking the action on any stocks mentioned. But Papa John's is struggling to match the price wars in pizza. You can invest in Pizza Hut. You can invest in Papa John's. You can invest in Domino's. And for a 10-year period, I want to say 2005 to 2015, Domino's was the number one company in the S&P 500. It wasn't Facebook. It wasn't Apple. It wasn't like you would imagine all those big names, right? Pizza. We went through a couple recessions, and pizza is pretty recession-proof, especially fast food pizza. Papa John's shares tumbled last July after they got into a problem where their CEO 
literally John Shatner, the guy who is Papa John's in the commercial, got caught with a racist comment. Oh, my, my, my. If we could all go back and erase all the dumb things we did. Not a fun world to live in, but some things we regret, right? Uh, so Papa John's is kind of struggling right now. Now, again, you could say, well, maybe that's my investment. Maybe my, that's my way in. So Domino's has a five ninety nine mixed match deal. Pizza Hut's got a $5 lineup. Little Caesar's got $5 hot and ready. Like there's enough going on out there that like there's not a lot of money in it. So you make it up by volume, volume, volume. And that's the way Domino's has made it up of volume, volume, volume. Pizza Hut's got these legacy stores that just were horrible experiences, and they're trying to revamp it, and they took over the NFL sponsorship for Papa John's. So you can make a case for how you want to invest, or you can buy all three. Or you could say, I'm going to own McDonald's versus owning pizza. Or you could say, I'm going to own Chipotle as rebound versus owning McDonald's as a steady. You get the idea. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. A lot of the show has been dedicated to trying to like get our eyeballs all adjusted to the same light levels when it comes to investing. In large part, I think that's kind of important um, that you know what you know the world that you're in. Um, one of the areas that I love recently was one CEO, an older CEO, criticized a younger CEO. And we all know the jokes about two bulls who go up on a hill, a big bull and a baby bull, and you know they talk about all the uh, female cows down in the field, and it's kind of adult language, right? So when you get an adult CEO, someone who's sixty plus, talking about someone who's under forty, it, it or you know, kind of a newer type of CEO. Mark Zuckerberg has caught a lot of flack for just not being good at what he does as a CEO. Maybe he came up with a concept, maybe he didn't, maybe he's opened and done some acquisitions that were genius, but a lot of people are just criticizing him now. And that kind of statement comes back to haunt you in 2018, the horrible year that Facebook had. But let's flip the page. Let's take a look at another CEO who's gotten himself into enough hot water. And a big CEO is uh, calling him out on it. Tesla, obviously, is who we're talking on, and Elon Musk. So one of the biggest CEOs out there, he's head of the largest U.S. auto dealer chain. He's knocking Elon and saying he's almost unethical. What's that mean, almost unethical? You're either ethical or you're not. And he doesn't like the way... Musk is going out there and talking about how by the end of this year, self-driving technology will be in place at Tesla. You just have to wait for the regulators to approve it. That's kind of a bold statement that we don't know if that's true or false. And we don't know if we need to be investing on that concept or not. Obviously, Elon Musk thinks that you know that's a, a killer feature. Whereas some people may say, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait for the FCC. I'm going to wait for the SEC. I'm going to wait for some government regulation group to say that it, it's it's good. So the CEO of AutoNation, Mike, ja- Mike uh, Jackson, says that it seems almost impossible to have that self-driving, fully functional car by the end of this year. So he says, I think he's over-promising on autonomous vehicles in almost an ethical way, which brings the question, what type of CEO do you want? Someone a little bit on the boring side, cautious, or someone a little bit more willing to take chances? And again, it's something that you should know and have a feeling about with companies that you own. Um, I think 
under you know Bob Iger. How did Disney do? And he has if he has that track record where you think like I feel like they got bigger. That's at least a flag. That's a good thing, right? So you got to build enough of a, a, a case. And I think success or failure starts at the top. Not necessarily just the coach, you know, not necessarily the CEO, but sometimes it's the chairman. Sometimes it's the the group. I was reading an article about one of the Yankees uh, starting the spring training, and he goes, I never really want to leave this organization because I've seen what other organizations are like to play for. Same thing is happening in the world of technology and investing. Google is having a problem with employees. Um, and their happiness. And one of the things that they said was, you know, okay, we hear you. And they're going to cut the use of arbitration if you decide to sue the company for sexual harassment or other issues. Uh, arbitration keeps it out of the news. It keeps it out of the headlines. It keeps it out of the courts. That's out there. Warren Buffett's having a bad day, losing $4 billion in a single day on Kraft Heinz Plunge. And again, that's a blue chip company. Been around since, I mean, World War One, right? Uh, mac and cheese probably kills more people per year than Philip Morris and Altria cigarettes. I don't know if that's true or false. It's a, how shall we say, a baited statement. <laughs> it's a, but I'm, if I say it enough, people will make it truth, right? 95-year-old billionaire Charlie Munger. The secret to a long and happy life is so simple, according to him. And it is. And it is. <sighs> He's not going to die on me. Um, I don't know. Charlie Munger's a weird-looking dude. But I do like him because he's tied to Warren Buffett. Um, he says, don't have a lot of envy. Don't have a lot of resentment. Don't overspend your income. Stay cheerful in spite of your problems. Now, this is what's going to make you sick. Deal with reliable people. These are all secrets to making your life happier, right? Um, he's got $1.7 billion. He's a $1.7 billion heir. $1.7 billion heir. And he's giving me advice about don't have a lot of envy. Sorry, I'm envious of your $1.7 It's more than mine. Your mountain's bigger than my mountain. Don't have a lot of resentment. I wish I was born Robert Munger, your brother, and I had a chance to like knock you off as a kid and take over your brain. Uh, it didn't happen. So stay cheerful. <laughs> I don't know the premise of uh, Friends, but it was kind of like these people who are always unhappy. I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm not a stay cheerful kind of guy. Although I do admire people who can act that way. Notice I use the word act. I'm insulting you. Google is now saying that your Google searches can be used to predict when you're going to go to the emergency room. And it's a, it's a research report that's out there, and I find it kind of interesting. And it's really showing us where um, artificial intelligence should go and could go. And uh, 2019, 2020 is supposed to be a big year of telemedicine. And you start tying in telemedicine, you know, getting on a video chat with your doctor and then tying in your Google searches. Hey, can I see your Google search? It's not going to work like that. But um, it's out there. I'll tell you what, anytime there's something funky on my body, do I go and search it? 
Yes, I do. And you're saying, please don't talk about stuff that's funky on your body anymore. I will not. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. I always have an event coming up, uh, typically one every two months. As long as I continue to do this, I'll continue to do the meet and greets and hellos. But it's going to be a retirement income and tax planning seminar on March 21st in Burlingame. You can sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.